just amazing. We're in uh, week two of a series that we've just started going through the book of Ephesians. And we're going to be preaching through the whole book, not just picking our favorite texts and our favorite topics, but actually going through the entire book and even dealing with the difficult texts that we might not want to or that we might skip over when we're reading at home. Because God wants us to understand the fullness, the whole counsel of God, as uh, Luke writes in Acts chapter 20. And so that's why some, from time to time we go through an entire book to make sure we are not just eating the steak and the curry, but we're eating the broccoli and the peas or whatever else vegetable you never liked when you grew up. I love the example that Lainey used last week when she preached the opening session. She says, she used the, the picture of an eagle and a chicken. And she said, we as believers have this high calling this majestic calling like an eagle that would soar on the heights. But sometimes we end up more like a chicken pecking around at the dirt. We, we don't realize who we are in Christ and the magnitude of our calling. And that's why we've titled this series, Living Worthy of Our Calling. We don't want to live like chickens scratching in the mud. We want to live like eagles, how God's called us to live. And that's from Ephesians 4, verse 1. Live a life, Paul says, worthy of the calling. So a quick little history lesson about the church in Ephesus. AD 52, Paul plants this church, Acts chapter 18, verse 19. You can read about it there. On one of his missionary journeys that he's going around Asia Minor, he plants a church. A couple of years later, AD 54 to AD 56, he spends two years, two to three years, preaching and teaching in this church every day, month after month for about two and a half, three years. They rent a hall, the hall of Tyrannus, and they preach. And they had such an impact in that region. There were thousands of people who practiced magic. And they got saved and their lives got changed. And they brought their scrolls and their books and their manuscripts and they burnt them in a massive bonfire. The industry of the city changed. People stopped buying these uh, silver statues, these idols. And the silversmiths started to go out of business. And they tried to kick Paul out. And he had to leave the city of Ephesus under the cover of dark. Such was the impact of their ministry there. A few months later, AD 57, Paul's on his way to Jerusalem. And he's on the island of Miletus. And he sends for the Ephesian elders, Acts chapter 20. And they have this farewell moment, and he says, I'm never going to see your face again. And they cry, and they weep. Remember, he was there for two years, every day with them. AD 62, Paul writes this letter, the book that we Ephesians, he writes it to the church a decade after it was planted. In the mid-60s, we see some evidence that the church is going off track a bit. Its doctrine is drifting. Because Paul writes to Timothy, and he says, I'm going to read from 1 Timothy 1, As I urged you upon my departure for Macedonia, stay at Ephesus, so that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines, nor to pay attention to myths and genealogies which give rise to speculation, rather than furthering the work of God which is of by faith. So this church had started well. 
Imagine Paul preached here every day for two years. Imagine what this church would look like. But they go off course, they drift. Their doctrine goes a bit wonky. And he says, Timothy, go and sort it out. And then we see another biblical kind of snapshot at the end of the the Bible, the book of Revelation, AD, mid-90s. Jesus himself writes a letter to this church. Revelation chapter two and verses one to seven. And he compliments them on their works. You're doing great things. But he rebukes them because they've lost their first love. So that's just a quick history lesson. We're looking at this church and Paul writing at around about AD 62 when the church is doing strong. And so we're in chapter one today, the second half of chapter one. And we're gonna read from verse 15. For this reason, Paul writes, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you when I remember you in my prayers. And then he prays this amazing prayer. He says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, will give you spiritual wisdom and revelation in your growing knowledge of him. Since the eyes of your heart have been enlightened, so that you can know what is the hope of his calling, what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is his incomparable greatness of his power toward us who believe, as displayed in the exercise of his immense strength, this power he exercised in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above every rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And God put all things under Christ's feet and gave him to the church as head over all things. Now the body, now the church is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all, or the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. I love how Paul praise for this church. I love how Paul's prayer and his prayer life is so much greater than just his own little sphere. Have you ever stood back from how you pray and kind of given yourself perspective on how you pray? Have you ever done that? You realize, oh, I'm I'm praying for myself and for my family and and for my kids and, and for my wife and my marriage and my finances and my work and my difficult boss or whatever it might be. Some of you are laughing when I, <laughs> difficult parts. But have you ever looked at how you pray uh, and how far out your prayers go? Paul here is praying for another church in another city far away, another country. So that should challenge us in our praying. I'm embarrassed to realize how little I've prayed for the church in Ukraine. I'm embarrassed. I should be. I'm going to hopefully start praying a bit more, but but this is challenging when we see Paul praying for churches, other people, not even in his kind of daily or weekly sphere. What is my prayer life like? And what does Paul pray for? He prays for three things. He prays for spiritual wisdom, for revelation, and for the growing knowledge of God. We'll get to those in a moment. But notice what Paul does not pray for. Have you ever looked at that? What does he not pray for? Peace. He doesn't pray for himself. He doesn't pray for what else? 
content. Doesn't pray for traveling mercies. Doesn't pray for material blessings. Doesn't pray for his finances or their finances. He's not praying for their protection or their health. Why? Why doesn't he pray for these? I mean, you and I pray for these things all the time. Why doesn't Paul pray for these things? I don't know. Quite possibly, he doesn't know exactly what they need at that moment. That's quite possible. I think also, though, Paul knows that if we have spiritual wisdom and revelation and our knowledge of God is growing, I'll pick a few other phrases from, the, from those scriptures. If we know the hope of God's calling, the wealth of his inheritance, his incomparable great power, if we know his supremacy and authority and his desire for the church, then actually we'd, we'd be able to overcome any physical obstacle through our faith in Christ. It's not wrong to pray for material things. Jesus said, pray like this, give us today our daily bread. It's not wrong to pray for those things. But I think Paul knows that material things are temporal. They're limited to a few hours or weeks or months. Spiritual things, spiritual treasures have value for all of our life. Far more valuable, right? So Paul prays for wisdom. The older I get, the more I realize I need wisdom. <laughs> the more I parent our three kids, the more I realize, God, I need wisdom. It's a, it's a humbling thing. Praise for revelation. What is revelation? Revelation is simply revealing something that wasn't known before. If you look at that word, it means lifting the lid, looking inside at, at who God is. And sometimes it's a powerful thing that you learn about God that you didn't know before. And often it comes with an experience of God. I can remember a time when uh, I read the Bible on my iPad, but I used to read a paper Bible. This is before the time of iPads and tablets and things. And I was reading in Matthew chapter 6, and Jesus was talking to his disciples about, um, don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about what you'll eat and drink. God can look after the sparrows. How much more will he look after you? Don't worry about you're gonna, what you're going to wear. He clothes the lilies better than Solomon. Don't worry about tomorrow. The pagans run after these things. But your Father in heaven knows that you need them. So seek first the king. You know that scripture. And at the end of the page on the paper Bible and my Bible, the sentence had to go on to the beginning of the other page. But it ended like this as I was reading the bottom of the page. For your father knows. And I couldn't turn over the page. Like this revelation hit me. God knows. God knows everything. He knows my, my darkest hour. My deepest secret. The times I've cried at night that no one else knew. God knows. The father knows. And this moment... This revelation changed my life. God knows. He knows how many hairs on my head. We know that scripture, but, but that truth hit me and it changed how I lived. It was revelation. Paul prays for growing knowledge. And in our Western kind of way of thinking in our Western education, when I say knowledge, most of us will probably think, well, you know, go to university or college or technicon and learn some information or some facts, some understanding. That's what we think knowledge is. 
the Hebrew understanding, the, the Middle Eastern and the Eastern understanding of that word knowledge is not just facts and information. It is knowledge gained through doing something or experiencing something. I can tell you that chocolate tastes sweet. But you'll be able to tell someone chocolate tastes sweet when you've eaten some chocolate, when you've experienced it. Uh, let me give an example from the Bible, Genesis chapter 3. Adam knew Eve and fell pregnant. Now, he didn't know facts about her or biological facts, and she became pregnant. There was an experience the two of them had, an intimate knowledge, it's the same word, and she got pregnant. Okay? So when Paul says, I pray that your knowledge of God would grow, what is he saying? I pray that your experience of God would grow. I can remember a time when in a church meeting years ago at a church I was part of in another province. And uh, the preacher finished preaching and he asked us all to stand and he, he felt to pray for certain areas and different people were being prayed for. And I remember standing there halfway back, just hearing him talk and the band were playing and, and suddenly while I'm just meditating on God and what the preacher had said, I experienced the holiness of God. And I experienced the weight of my sin and how horrendous and horrible and depraved and base I was. Like this, God just showed me, I had this knowledge, this experience of how awful my sin was and how holy he was and how there's no way I could be near a holy God. And I started weeping, just standing there, experiencing the holiness of God and knowing that Christ had actually made me clean. I was changed, friends. This knowledge, this experience. Our faith is not just about learning Bible verses. God gets inside our heart and he changes us. Remember once as a young leader, not a very good leader, I might add. Um, I was leading a life group in another church and uh, a bunch of university students and I'd shot my mouth off at some of them about being late or I don't know what it was. And uh, I was quite rude, and anyway, I obviously thought I was the leader. Um, and one of them came to me a day or two later and challenged me of, of how I'd spoken to them. And I was like, okay, that's interesting. And the next morning, as I'm processing what had happened, realizing, gee whiz, I'd spoken so badly to God's people. These are God's bride. He died for them. Like I felt the, the conviction of God in a disciplining way. And I honestly felt disciplined. It was an experience. I felt disciplined by God. Nothing bad happened. The car didn't break down. The washing machine kept working. Like, you know, sometimes when stuff breaks, you think, what have I done wrong that God's, it wasn't like that. But there were moments when I thought, if I walk outside, lightning is gonna strike me from heaven. Like I just, I felt that weight. How dare I talk to God's bride like that? And it changed me. Friends, this revelation, this knowledge we have. And so Paul prays, I grow in the knowledge of God. It's vital for our faith. And then he says, he gives us a reason why. And he says, this wisdom, this revelation, this knowledge that we to grow in helps us to know five things in the text we've read. Firstly, to know the hope of his calling. 
And that word or that phrase also means to cherish or to enjoy his calling. And hope is not as we see hope, like something doubtful. We, we really hope it's going to happen. I hope I get to the movies today. You know, you're not sure if it's going to happen or not. It's is better translated divine guarantee or confident expectation or certainty, to know the certainty of God's calling. And what is this calling? Most of us probably think calling, my destiny, what I'm called to do for my life. And I think that's part of it. But most often, Paul uses that word about God's calling us and bringing us to Christ. We're called to be his children, to live in freedom and forgiveness, to become like Jesus, to represent God to the world. We're called to share in and be part of his plan unfolding on earth. And so God wants us to experience and enjoy the certainty of his salvation. It's amazing. And wisdom, revelation, and knowledge help us to know the fact that we've called to be his. It also helps us, secondly, to know the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Did you know that God has an inheritance for you? Do you know that? Paul assumes we know it, but he says, I want you to know it even greater. And we as Christians need our eyes opened to the fact that God has an inheritance for us. And how great is this inheritance? Imagine you knew that your company was going to give you a massive bonus at the end of the year. Massive, like 10 times your annual salary. You would want to stay at that company to make sure you got that. There's this great reward coming to you if you just stick it out. Okay, that's not our faith. We're not just trying to stick it out until Jesus comes. But, but understand that concept. There is a great inheritance. And Paul says, you need to understand it because it's going to change how you live. We're not living for the here and now. Although some of this inheritance does come to us on earth, we get his presence like we felt today. We get to be filled with his Holy Spirit. We get empowered by his life. It begins already on earth. But we need to see and have our eyes open to this great inheritance he has for us. Number three, Paul says, I want you to know the incomparable greatness of his power towards us who believe. And I have no idea how to explain that. That the power of God, the one who made the universe, is at our hands. It is at not our disposal to do whatever we want with, but it's, it's towards us, it's for us. It benefits us. His power is toward us. At hand to help us, empower us, to change us. But it's more than that. It's the greatness of his power. Like Paul takes it up a notch. Not just God's power, it's the greatness of his power. And more than that, it's the incomparable greatness of his power toward us who believe. I don't know how to picture that. Paul's like, let your fuses be blown, humans. His incomparable power is towards us who believe. And he gives an example. He shows us what he means. He says, Christ was raised from the dead. 
Wow. Death and sin have been defeated. He was raised to the right hand of God, Paul says. The right hand is the position of power. The right hand is the the right hand man is the is the guy who gets stuff done. Christ is the one who executes the will of God. And he's seated at God's right hand. When you've seated, you've done your work. The work of Christ and atoning for man is finished. It is finished, he says. So he's seated at the right hand of God. Why do we need to have, as Paul prays, a revelation and a knowledge of God's immense power? Well, it's because we forget about it. And we gravitate toward living normal, natural lives. We tend to live like a chicken and not an eagle. We limit him. We shrink his abilities down to God's just a little bit stronger than a human. And our prayers become insipid and weak. So Paul prays, grow in your knowledge and your revelation of the incomparable greatness of his power towards you. Because we can't live a life worthy of him if we don't have sight of his power and experience of his power. We all need this power because we become dry. We get tired. We get worn out. Life is stressful and hectic and busy and draining. And the tank inside us of his love and grace and patience runs out. And we get grumpy and we get short and we get angry And instead of living by faith, we end up living by sight. And the faith that was once so vibrant becomes a religion. Dull and dreary and boring. Paul says, the cure, the antidote, behold the greatness of his power. Amazing. Because when God is at work, friends, life is anything but boring. It's exciting. We're vitalized. We're energized. And Paul says, fourthly, we need to have a revelation of the supremacy and the authority of Christ. He speaks about far above every rule. Let me find those verses. Far above every rule and authority and power and dominion and every name or title that is to be named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And God put all things under Christ's feet. Friends, Christ is unequaled. There is no rival. There's no challenger to his throne. He is the ultimate and only source. The only reason we can breathe or think or move or it's because he wills it every moment. We take it for granted. And he's put all things under Christ's feet. Why? Number five, for the sake of the church. How's that? Not to do a hundred other things of which God does all the time, but for the sake of the church, for the sake of you and I. And the power of Christ flows into his church. That phrase at the end of verse 23, the fullness of him. Isn't that strange? What does that mean, the fullness of him? How could the church 
us imperfect people, how could we be the fullness of him? Well, does, is Paul saying that God is somehow incomplete? He's somehow lacking something that we need to make up for his deficiency? No, he's not saying that. God is perfect. He is self-sufficient. He needs nothing. He doesn't need our worship to prop him up on his throne. No. I think the idea Paul's getting is that the church is the extension of Jesus. Jesus is not here in his literal physical body, but the church is his body. And we carry out his will on planet earth. And there's a sense that he's organized things so that he needs the church. He's chosen not to do everything himself, but through the church for the kingdom of God to come. God could do a much better job than the church, let's be honest here. <laughs> but he's chosen to use humans, you and I. We're his completion in the sense that he's the groom and we're his bride. The church is joined, Paul says, we're in union with Christ. He's the vine, John says. We are the branches. We're to abide or remain in him. And this is the great secret of the Christian life, that we are united with Christ. He is our source. We get our life from him. And we need to connect, just like you plug your phone to charge in every day. It needs that power from ESCOM when ESCOM's working. <laughs> Your phone doesn't work without battery. The Christian shouldn't work without the power of Christ through the Holy Spirit. That's the secret. Not doing lots of stuff, not coming to lots of meetings, not memorizing the whole Bible, not serving till you drop. No, the secret of the Christian life is abiding in him. And this should change the way we think about the church. This is not some human organization. Not a whole bunch of little congregations each doing their own thing. The church is the body of Christ. The body through which he gets things done in the world. And I think we need to realize also how important the church is to Jesus. The only thing he's doing on planet earth is building his church. Now the church is not a building the church is not a movement or a denomination or a man-made structure or hierarchy. The church is not a bunch of Sunday meetings. It's not. The church are the people of God, the ecclesia, the called out ones. We're his bride. And he loves us. So in this prayer, Paul is... Building sequentially, I'll try and take you through it again. He, he prays that their eyes would be opened, that we would have wisdom and revelation and knowledge, that our experience and our understanding would grow of the certainty and the security of our salvation. He starts off there. You know the hope of your calling. Enjoy it, cherish it. It's certain. And then he says, well, Get a bigger glimpse of what God's inheritance is for you. Once you've understood the platform, the basis of what you stand on, the work of Christ, then move on to see the greatness of his inheritance that he has for you. 
And then move on to see his immense power and how perfect and incomparable he is. And this power is not just out there that we're lucky if we get a hit, you know, pull a one-armed bandits, what gambling machine. Some people think that prayer is like gambling. Pray, 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 and if you hit the jackpot, God answers a prayer. No, <laughs> he's not a slot machine. But his power is towards us. And when we understand that, we can look at the supremacy of Christ and know that it's all for the sake of his church, the people. So Paul says, I pray that you would grow in these things. What an amazing prayer. Can we stand as we close? I want to pray a little bit of what Paul had in his mind and heart for us as a church, for each one of us as we're ending. And let's respond to God. If you might want to just close your eyes, you might want to raise your hands, however you feel comfortable responding to God. Father, we sometimes just read over this prayer and think, wow, that's a cool prayer. But Lord, would that prayer and those things be real to us? We don't want to have a theoretical faith, an imaginary faith. We want to have a faith that is grounded on an experience, a knowledge of God himself. Holy Spirit, I pray, touch every one of us. Change us, speak to us. Let us have moments at home, in our car, at a Bible study, wherever it is. Let us have moments where we encounter the living God. We've all had some. Lord, let us have more. We want to grow in this knowledge. We want to stand on the certainty of our salvation, that Christ has done it. It is done forever. He is seated. There's nothing more to be done. The obstacle between man and God is demolished. Father, I pray that we would have a glimpse of this amazing inheritance that you have not just now, but forever, that we know what is coming to us one day is so glorious that these light and momentary troubles are far outweighed by the glory that will come to us on that day. Oh, Father, let us run with perseverance knowing that fact, convinced of it, certain of it. Let us know, Father, this great power. And right now, friends, if you have some obstacle in your life, submit it to the power of God this morning. Father, we, we lift up family members who are sick, family members who aren't yet saved, financial situations. Lord, we lift up our own life and faith and marriage and kids and work and witness Father, would your power infuse us? Would, the, would we see evidence of the work of God in our lives? And not just in us, but through us, around us, spreading out. Father, we ask that we would see a little bit of this incomparable power. The same power that raised Christ from the dead. The same Holy Spirit lives in us. Let us walk in the authority of sons and daughters, not like chickens, 
but like eagles. Not like servants or slaves, but like children in the house of God. Give us that confidence, Lord, to approach your throne of grace with boldness, to receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. Father, help us to see the supremacy of Christ. That we could save like Job, though he slay me, yet I will worship him. He gives and takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. Supreme over all things, even over my life. Father, I pray that we would see the, the value and the importance of your church, the body. Not a structure, not a meeting, not a religion, but the life of God and the people of God for the whole world. Would we know that we are precious, that we're the apple of your eye, that we are yours and you are ours. Help us to fall in love with the groom. Father, thank you that you've placed all things under Christ for the sake of the church. And we pray for this church and all other churches around the world. Those who love you, Lord. Would your church advance like an army? In Ukraine right now, Father, we pray the life of God, the power of God, the protection of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God to do what God wants to do. God, we pray, give us a heart to pray for other churches, to bless them, not to speak ill of other churches, even if they've hurt us, but God, to bless. Thank you, Lord, that it's for the sake of your church. Give us that revelation, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Not quite sure what to say now. We're going to, in a 15 minutes time, we're going to have a leadership course, a part one of four. And as Terry said in the beginning, if you never signed up, even if it's your first day here today, and there are a few visitors, if you've got an hour to spare, please stay. We would love to expose you to what it means to follow Christ because that's all a leader is, someone who's following Christ. And we're an example to others. So you want to take the next step in your faith, the journey that God has for you, please stay. Won't be upset if you go, I promise. If you can't make it, but you can only start next Sunday, please come next Sunday as well. Amen? Amen. Have an amazing week. Most of the life groups are meeting again. So enjoy those and be blessed. Cheers, everyone.